In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I am going to share my thoughts on the State Farm Champions Classic that just wrapped up. We had great games. We had Kentucky versus Kansas. We had Michigan State versus Duke. And what is considered to be a very wide open 2024 NBA draft class, we had quite a few prospects that are expected to be in the lottery. So stay tuned to hear my thoughts on who struggled and who shined at the State Farm Classic. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board. As you can see, I'm not at home. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm not at home. I am in Paris. I'm actually leaving in a few hours. I've been here a week. Pretty tired. I haven't been asleep yet. It is 6:51 a.m. The games just ended. I think the first game started at one o'clock, and the second game started at about 3:45 a.m. So I haven't been asleep, but I got to get this episode out before I head to the airport and finally get back home after a week of being in Paris, watching some of the top international prospects and some of the top international prospects that I know I'm going to be talking about. In the next like three, four drafts, I saw some kids that were born in 2008 and 2009 that I think could be really special if they continue to progress. But anyway, this is about the State Farm Champions Classic. But before I get into that, I want to let you know how important it is for you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed, I want you to like, share, leave a comment. But subscribing is the best way to help us grow this channel because basketball season is here. We're going to be covering the draft and college basketball all the way until I was going to say all the way until the draft. But we don't stop. It's just nonstop draft coverage. I didn't really take a break this summer. And so I'm I'm just glad that we can actually talk college basketball. And today is a day that has been on my calendar for a while. And I want to start off with Kentucky versus Kansas. This was a matchup that featured, based off of my last big board that I dropped in August, I mean, I thought Aaron Bradshaw, Justin Edwards was my number one, DJ Wagner, El Marco, Zvonavir Ivicic. I mean, I thought I was going to have a, a matchup with at least five projected lottery picks. Aaron Bradshaw's hurt, and that was huge for Kentucky as Hunter Dickinson had a monster game for Kansas. They had like 27 points. I'm double-checking here, but he had 27 points and 21 rebounds. So Kentucky is, I mean, they were missing some of their interior defenders or just an interior presence. But the big topic of the day, even though Kansas won, was the struggles of DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards. Now, when I think about this draft, I know it's wide open. I mean, like wide open and a lot can change and a lot can happen between now and June. And I did an article on NBA Big Board. If you haven't subscribed to that, please check it out, nbabigboard.com. I did a letter, I did an article and it was my top 30 prospects and I gave you know, their strengths, but I also gave what I was looking to see out of each prospect. And 
some of the concerns that I've had, and it's not just not the guys in this game, but some of the concerns that I've had for a lot of the prospects have been glaring, glaring so far this first 10 days of the college basketball and even G League season. DJ Wagner was 1 for 12. Justin Edwards, 0 for 6. So you have Kentucky's two prize recruits combined to go 1 for 18 with five points to the point where Justin Edwards wasn't on the floor late in games, late in the game. DJ Wagner really struggled. I mean, one for 12. And Justin Edwards is a guy that I have number one on my big board, which is definitely going to change. I mean, I know it's just one game, but some of the concerns and, and the struggles that I, I, I saw in high school that I thought his strengths his strengths would outweigh are on full display. He doesn't look to be a great athlete. He's really struggling with his shot. He's a guy that does a lot of, does a little bit of everything, but nothing really well stands out. And so based off of to, you know, the game tonight, he looked passive. He didn't look aggressive. He didn't look, did not look like an alpha male, alpha dog, he didn't, just did not look great. Only took six shots in 29 minutes. Now, for a guy that is expected to be the number one pick, I want to see a little bit more aggression. Now, DJ Wagner was aggressive. He took 12 shots. He was one for 12 in 25 minutes, but he just looked so predictable. He looked like he just wanted to go left every time. The jump shot doesn't look good. He was only two or four from the foul line. I mean, Justin Edwards was just one of two from the foul line. So, you, again, you got these guys that combine to go one for 18, and they only combine to go three of six from the foul line. But Wagner doesn't look like a, a lottery pick. Definitely not in most drafts. I mean, I think this draft is, is wide open. But the struggles were concerning. I mean, really concerning. And I guess I'm a little bit more concerned with Edwards because, again, 0 for 6 from the floor, 0 for 3 from 3, 1 of 2 from the foul line. He had four rebounds, two assists, and a block, and two turnovers. And then Wagner, like I said, 1 for 12, 0 for 3 from deep, 2 of 4, only had two rebounds. He really hasn't rebounded the ball well. Not saying that I was expecting him to you know, average five or six rebounds per game. But on the flip side, you look at Rob Dillingham, who's – I think it's smaller. He actually goes out and he rebounds. In this game, he only had two rebounds, but he played 16 minutes. And the difference between DJ Wagner and Rob Dillingham is that Rob makes an impact. Like, as soon as he came in the game, I felt like the game changed a little bit for Kentucky. And in my notes, I have that they went on an 8 0 run when he entered the game. He plays with energy. He just makes things happen. And you know with Rob Dillingham, you're, you, he's, he's exciting. You're going to get some excitement plays, and you're going to get some wild shots. And he went on a, a heat check moment. But it was, I mean, for that, maybe one or two minutes of gameplay, it was exciting. At one point, he was he had 10 points on four or six from the floor. Then he was 13 points on five or seven. Then 16 points. So it was like three straight possessions where he hit threes. But he just showed that he makes an impact, whether it's the pace and the tempo. He forces everyone to play fast. He had a nice Euro step, righty floater. I just felt like Kansas had a difficult time staying in front of him. 
And I love the way that he mixes being aggressive, but he's also moving the ball. He was trying to make some reads. He wasn't selfish. Kind of reminds me of Traquavion Smith a little bit. I think he's a much better passer, at least a little bit more patient than Traquavion, but the same excitement, the same ability to get to his pull-up and can get hot and streaky. So I really, really liked what I saw out of Rob Dillingham in the first half. Now, in the second half, the numbers, I mean, he, I don't even know if he scored in the second half. I think he scored two points in the second half. He took an absolutely awful, awful, awful shot. It was, I think, 216 left in the game. It was still a close game. And it was just a, a baseline contested jumper that was an air ball. And Calipari took him out. And, and, I, and I get it. You know, it's a teachable moment. You take him out the game. But to bring in DJ Wagner, I just who was struggling, I just thought that was pretty interesting. I just I just felt like if Calipari played Reed Shepard more, then I think Kentucky would have had a I mean they were in the game. I mean they only lost by five, but Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham combined for 31 points and they only played like 32 minutes combined. They definitely outplayed DJ Wagner and Justin Edwards. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward because I think without a doubt, and you can go back to the, the scrimmage and even some of the practices that I've heard about that Rob Dillingham has definitely outplayed DJ Wagner. Now, Antonio Reeves had a decent game, scored 24 points, but it took him 25 shots, but he took 17 threes, three for 17 from three, seven to seven from the foul line, had eight rebounds. But I, I did like the fact that he was aggressive. He was assertive, which was something that I just didn't see out of Justin Edwards. So overall, Kentucky, I mean, they're not at 100 percent and they definitely have a hole in the middle. But a dude, Fierro, is someone that I'm going to definitely be monitoring throughout the rest of the season had 16 points 13 rebounds was five of six from the free throw line has six offensive rebounds was five of ten from the floor little wild he's raw um makes some 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 rookie mistakes or freshman mistakes even though he's not a freshman but i love his athleticism his size and he competes and he just made things happen with his energy and hustle. So he is someone that I'm definitely going to keep an eye out on for the rest of the season. All right. When we return, I'm going to talk about the Kansas side. Kansas is not a team that is loaded with NBA prospects as far as guys that could be in the first round. But they have some guys that I think could be second round picks or that could just carve out pretty long careers. Then in the last segment, we're going to talk about Duke which had the number two ranked recruiting class behind Kentucky. We're going to talk about Duke and Michigan State, which was a good game in itself. Stay tuned. But before we get into that, I want to let you know about our partners at eBay. Now, eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long whether you're preparing for a daily draft or scouting or the waiver wire every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster but i think could be a fantasy option a sneaky fantasy option 
is Skylar Mays. And I'm a little bit biased about Skylar Mays because when I used to work for MWA, it was Mo Williams Academy, I was the videographer. I traveled with the team for an entire summer. And Skylar Mays was our point guard. He didn't have the same hype and fanfare as some of the other guys on the team that were McDonald's All-Americans, but Skylar was steady. He's always been underrated. Was on a two-way contract until recently. The Blazers injuries have opened up some time for him. And Skyler should be starting the rest of the week. And his value is great for fantasy teams, at least until Malcolm Brogdon and Scoot Henderson return. But Skyler Mays is another good fantasy option. And just like with fantasy basketball and trying to win a fantasy championship, eBay Motors knows how important it is to have the right fit, the perfect fit or the perfect player. And it is the same with your vehicle with over 122 million parts for your car. You can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly, whether it's brake kits, LED lights, headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your car needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay's guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride for the first time or your money back guaranteed so keep your car alive and ready and rolling at ebaymotors.com ebay's guaranteed fit is only available to u.s customer u.s customers eligible items only and exclusions apply once again big shout out to each and every person that has made the locked on nba big board podcast your first listen of the day but also i want you to check out the new locked on national youtube channel check it out 24 hours locked on national youtube channel all right wanted to talk about kansas kansas entered this game as the number one team in the country and they have a veteran squad i mean you got hunter dickinson who's been a beast in college basketball. He decided to transfer. I love the fact that he was just honest. Like, yeah, this NIL money at Kansas is a lot better than Michigan. I know people were critical about that, but I mean, people do it for jobs all the time. Why not college students? So he had a monster game, 27 points, 21 rebounds, just really took advantage of the fact that Kentucky was thin on the inside clean the glass, has just amazing touch around the rim. Even though he slimmed down, he's still a physical presence, wide body with great touch. I mean, it's debatable whether or not he is an NBA player or not. It's just, it's just kind of unfortunate that he was born in the wrong era. Maybe if he spaced the floor a little better, and that's one of the things that you know, it's just going to be consistent with a lot of the traditional back to the basket centers. You want to see if they can space the, even though he's like a 38% career shooter from three, it's on a very, very low volume of attempts. I don't think he's ever taken more than two threes a game or average more two, three attempts per game, but he has good touch around the rim, good foul shooter. And I think he's someone that NBA teams are going to monitor, but they just may be concerned about you know, he just doesn't fit the modern NBA because they're looking for vertical lob threats or floor spacers or guys that can anchor a defense. But man, he has had a tremendous college career, about 17 points and eight rebounds in near 100 games. So Hunter Dickinson show why he is on a list of players that could win national player of the year. Had, like I said, a monster game. Kevin McCullough Jr. was all over the place. Someone that has flirted with the draft the last couple seasons. I, I honestly thought that he should have entered last year. I think he's kind of flirting with the danger zone because I, I, I believe it'd be like 24 around draft time. 
And what he's going to have to show NBA scouts is that he can shoot. And that has been the, the biggest concern and the biggest knock on him. And even though he was shooting lights out before this game, it's still going to be a concern. Today he was 0 for 3 from deep. Only made 3 out of his 11 shots, but I thought that he did what Kevin McCullough does. I thought he played good defense, and he had a triple-double. 12 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. A guy that is just super versatile. You can play him at the one, you can play him at the at the three. If he could only knock down shots, I mean, that's that's just the one thing that's missing. If he can knock down shots, I think he can be a 12-year NBA player because he has the, the intangibles, he's a defender, and he can make plays. He, he, just, he just gotta knock down shots. But like I said, triple-double. Dewan Harris, I don't know what got into Dewan. I know there was a game where he didn't take a shot and he scored 23 points, seven of 12 from the floor, but he made five of six from three. I thought he had some big plays in the end where he used his veteran savvy and kind of took advantage of Rob Dillingham's aggression. I know there was a play where Rob went for a steal and he missed it. Rob went under a screen. And I know if you're, you're Kentucky, your scouting report definitely didn't say Dewan Harris was going to take 12 shots and make five threes. And so you probably were going to live with him shooting because that's really not what he's looking to do every game. He's looking to facilitate, run the offense. And so if that was their game plan to let him shoot, unfortunately, it, it, it didn't work. El Marco Jackson is someone that I'm really high on. Didn't have a monster game, I mean, by any means. He only had seven points. Two assists, um, got to the foul line six times, um, only one of four from the floor, but played 24 minutes. He is someone that I didn't think was going to have like a, a big season statistically because he went to a veteran team that, you know, has seniors in place. But I, I think that he has shown some flashes, especially as as a passer, even though like he had three turnovers today. But there were some reads that he made that that makes me feel like down the line he is going to be able to be a productive lead guard. He has the athleticism. The shot is is a question right now, but he has the physical tools that NBA teams are definitely looking for. All right, when we return, it's the last segment. I want to talk about Duke and Michigan State. I thought that was a pretty Good gang, at least for me, it was one o'clock in the morning. But before I get into the last segment, I wanna to talk to you about Ibotta. Why? Because how does a free Thanksgiving sound? This year, Ibotta is here to give you cash back and help you make sure that your Thanksgiving table is complete because who wants the turkey without the gravy? Now, turkey is great. It is the best part of Thanksgiving other than spending time with your family. I know I'll go home to Dallas for a few days and then I'm off to Nebraska to spend time with my family. But outside of spending time with your family, the best part about Thanksgiving is the size. And with Ibotta, you can make sure that you get the whole family's favorite side dishes and the turkey while getting cash back. Big holidays mean big family get-togethers, but you do not have to spend all that money on the Thanksgiving spread without getting something in return. And with Ibotta, you can get your turkey and all your favorite sides. Check this out. For free, starting November 1st, 
to the for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Just add the offers in the app to redeem for everything you need to make your Thanksgiving feast complete. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailers and upload your receipt. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods so you can make sure that you are beating inflation no matter what you are purchasing. Download the Ibotta app now and use the code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, and you can get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. All right, I wanted to wrap up talking about Duke versus Michigan State. Duke had the number two ranked recruiting class. They're coming off a loss to Arizona. And Duke has quite a few prospects that I believe can be first round picks. A couple guys that some people believe can be lottery picks. And you can't mention Duke without talking about Kyle Filipowski. Now, Kyle is a guy that a lot of people are divided on. There's some people that are high on him. I actually talked to a scout that doesn't think Filipowski is going to be an NBA player. He thinks he's going to be a great European player. And so he is going to be one of the more divisive guys in this class, but you can't deny his production, at least on the college level. And you heard all about the double hip surgery. I didn't know that he had a, a labrum surgery. So, I mean, the man was under the knife all off season, but today he showed why he is number one, so highly touted for some people. And then he also showed why there are some concerns about whether or not his style of play fits the modern NBA. So I'll just go over some of my notes. Filipowski finished with 15 points and eight rebounds. He was five of 13 from the floor, 0 for four from three. And that was the concern because he came into college or came into his freshman year billed as a, a versatile seven-footer that can pass and knock down open shots. Shot below 30% from three last year. And here it is, a, a, a big game on a huge stage. And he did not make a single three, 0 for 4. But he was 5 of 7 from the foul line. Again, he showed why some people believe that he could be a lottery pick or first-round pick. Has great footwork, is very skilled around the basket. He had a play where he did like a half shimmy left hand finish. He showed a little bit more fluidity in his hips than he showed last year. And I was, I was told like last year, if you really paid attention, he couldn't even get in the stance. That's how bad his hips were. So he looked like he was moving better. He had a couple plays against Malik Hall, who I'll get to later on where Malik tried to beat him in isolation and Filipowski matched him step step for step and stayed in front of him. He showed the passing. There was one particular play where he got matched up against one of Michigan State's guards. I don't remember which one it is. I mean, it seems like their whole team is all guards outside of Malik Hall and Sissoko. And it was a triple team. And he was on the right block, didn't even look to his left and read the triple team made a nice pass to Ryan Young and, and and that's the passing instincts in the field that a lot of people are really high on with Filipowski because they believe that he can play a role as a connector which and I think is very valid but then there was a play where he got a steal and he went coast to coast he got a foul but he just did not look fluid in his movements it looked a little bit concerning to me maybe I'm just nitpicking 
But he got in foul trouble in, in like, I want to say it was like six minutes in the first half. I think he finished with four fouls. There were times where he looked like he didn't look like an NBA level athlete. Like he shows that he does not have like good vertical pop around the around the rim. Cohen Carr, who is a phenomenal athlete, but he's like 6'4, 6'5, maybe, blocked Filipowski's shot twice. I want to say it was like maybe three times that he blocked his shot. And so he just lacks the, the vertical pop. And I, I think that could be a concern in the NBA as far as him defending in space. So like I said, I see why some people are high on him, but I also see why people are low on him as far as being like a first round pick. I'm somewhere in the middle, but if I had to guess, if, or if I had to pick, I think I'd be leaning more towards, I think the concerns outweigh his strengths. Another player that I want to talk about for Duke is Tyrese Proctor. Now, I'm high on Proctor. I have him as a lottery pick. And I know it's just one game, but he hasn't got off to the start that I anticipated. And in this particular game, even though he had, you know, the numbers were okay. Even though he, he was only 4 of 12 from the floor, 1 of 5 from 3, but he got to the foul line five times. Me and my brother James had this huge debate on one of the previous podcasts about him not getting to the foul line so seeing him shoot five free throws was encouraging I thought he rebounded the ball well with six rebounds he had six assists and no turnovers so even though the shot wasn't falling he did find a way to impact the game which is something that you really like to see but one of my concerns was he really couldn't get downhill or didn't get downhill I should say and maybe it's just me and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I felt like there were times where he could get downhill and he just kept doing the snatch back. Like he would drive hard right and he would look like he would have an angle and then he would snatch back to his left hand and then call for a screen. So maybe, you know, the, the lack of strength, because he wasn't a good finisher at the rim last year. Maybe he just doesn't want to get downhill because he's not a good finisher or doesn't want to, you know, finish in contact. I mean, Michigan State has some bruisers. Like, they got some big dudes there. But I felt like there was at least five, six, seven times where I thought he had an angle and he just kept snatching it back and just kind of resetting the offense. So that was a little bit discouraging for me because, again, from my view, which is obviously totally different, I thought that he could get downhill or at least get to a sweet spot where he could, um, you know, use his floater. He did make one floater, but it was more so, I think it was off the catch at the top of the key, not necessarily where he put the ball and got downhill and then shot a floater. But he was really struggling with his shot and couldn't turn the corner. That was a little bit, like I said, discouraging for me. But overall, I thought he impacted the game, which is something that you would like to see. Caleb Foster. Now you can't not mention his game. 29 minutes, 18 points, 7 of 8 from the floor, 4 of 5 from 3, 3 rebounds. I thought Caleb Foster really made a name for himself in, in this game. When I, when I watched Caleb Foster, at least in early in the first half, he looked like a guy that knew he could do so much more, but was kind of restricted because he had veterans around him. And he's kind of playing, like, I'll say this. I think Caleb Foster is a really good shot maker and creator. 
I think that he could really be special in an on-ball role where he had more reps on the ball. And so early in the game, I know there was one position where one possession where he was kind of pounding the ball, and then he's he's accepted his role. He's accepted his role, and he's catching and shooting. He's letting it fly. He's showing that he can score, and he's been able to do it. And and like whether it's knocking down a three, or just getting to his pull-up jumper and a couple dribbles. So I was encouraged, and I was impressed with his play. I was impressed with his shooting, but I think that he is. I think that he deserves a bigger role. I think that he has shown that he is capable of being a starter. Now, McCain, Jared McCain, another fellow freshman, only played 16 minutes, was 0-5 from the floor. And then Jeremy Roach played 34 minutes, and he had seven points. I think Caleb Foster is the better prospect between those two guys. And even though, like, you know, Roach played more minutes, I can see a situation down the line where I think he's going to play over McCain. I definitely think so. I mean, that's just not like a one-game thing. I think he's going to end up playing over McCain, but I can see a situation as the season goes on where he's going to have a bigger role. He's going to get more on-ball reps because he is a very talented scorer that I feel like is kind of being limited to what he can do. But luckily, he can shoot. A lot of times, guys that are really good on-ball scores may struggle off the ball. So I think this is helping him as far as his draft stock, showing that he could play in a reduced role. But then there are the flashes where you're like, you know, he can do something when he has the ball in his hands. Also want to talk about Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell is a guy that I, I get why people like him because of his defensive versatility and today was a, a game where he just showed how he can impact games. He had 13 points, four rebounds, went to the foul line nine times. He scored 13 points and only took three shots. But the shooting, the shooting really worries me. I mean, we saw it in the game against Arizona where they just did not guard him. They dared him to shoot, left him wide open. And last year he shot 35% from three. It was a small sample size, 54 attempts. I guess it wasn't too small. It's like 1.5 attempts per game. But this year, he looks like he has absolutely no confidence in his jumper. If he can become a average three-point shooter, I mean, he still has plenty of time. He's only a sophomore. But if he can become an average three-point shooter with his length and athleticism and versatility, he is going to have a long career. So the swing skill for him is definitely the outside shooting. All right, I want to talk about Michigan State. Michigan State is a, is, is a program, I was going to say school, but it's the same thing, school program that they just don't produce like really exciting players. And, and I had a scout tell me, he, he told me this few weeks back. He says, Izzo's going to struggle with this team. It's too much talent for him. And he has to figure out a way to make the, the players work. He usually has these guys that are there for three or four years. And again, this is a veteran team. But he was saying that he doesn't know how Izzo is going to be able to manage his veterans with the two really talented freshmen that he has in Cohen Carr and Xavier Booker. Now, Xavier Booker 
just is barely in the rotation. I think he took like one shot today. And then there's Cohen Carr, who is a very intriguing prospect. I mean, the most athletic player, in my opinion, outside of the NBA. I mean, he is a freak, freak athlete. If you haven't seen the video, there's a video where he did like a two-hand double pump from the foul line. He's a freak athlete, and he showed some of his athleticism, but his intangibles today. Booker only played five minutes, but Carr played 12 minutes. If you look at the stats, two points, two fouls, two turnovers, three blocks, one steal, one assist, one rebound, one for three from the floor, 12 minutes. But he had an impact in those minutes that he played, had three blocks Three blocks. And the, the blocks that he had, I mean, they were trying to post him up because he's listed at 6'5". I don't even know if he's 6'5", but he showed how fast he can get off the ground and the timing. He has some tools to work with that the NBA team will work with. But offensively, he's really like a four man or a five. Like there was two plays that come to mind where he was open. They passed it to him and he didn't even think about shooting. He literally caught the ball and was driving to the basket before he caught the ball. It literally looked like he was returning a punt. That's how reluctant he is to shoot. And so I would love to see him be able to knock down open shots because I, I do think that there is a, a role for him. Jaden Atkins is a guy, or Jaden Atkins is a guy that some people really like. He didn't really do much uh, today. Now, Tyson Walker is a player that I like. A little bit older, you know, a veteran guy. He kind of reminds me of Devontae Graham a little bit. And I know Graham is not necessarily a name that you want to be compared to because he's not playing right now. He's out of the Spurs rotation. Like, he's, like, way outside of the rotation. Like, I think they'll try anybody at point before they put him in. But Tyson Walker is a bucket. Came into the game averaging 24 points per game. He's a shifty ball handler, super confident scorer. And he had some very impressive plays in, in the game where he was in isolation. And he's small, but he knows how to use his ball handling to create space and freeze defenders. He finished with 22 points. I mean, just continue his hot start. 22 points, 9 of, seven, 9 of 17 from the floor, 3 of 5 from deep. I like him. I, I, I really, I really like him. He's someone that... I can see going undrafted and then goes in the G League, really lights it up. I mean, he's definitely going to have to fight and crawl his way to an, an NBA roster. But lastly, I want to talk about Malik Hall. Now, I think Malik Hall is an NBA player, and I think Malik Hall is going to have a long NBA career. The reason I think that is because with his, his body and his skill set, I think that they're... There's room for him. He's 6'8", 220, came into the season, or I'm sorry, came into this game only averaging 8.5 rebounds and shooting 28% from the floor. But today, in this game against Duke, he showed why, at least to me, why I'm so high on him, because he did a little bit of everything. He made two out of four from, from deep, but he showed that he, he just showed the versatility with his size and his strength that I think can be valuable. I, I could see him as a guy that 
You can put him in a lineup in the NBA. You can have him defend bigger players in the post, but he has the athleticism and, and the size and the strength and footwork to be able to defend down. So I can see him as a, a physical, versatile defender. And then in the post, even though I don't know if NBA teams are going to be for a guy that projects as a role player running post plays for him, but he's a, a, a good low post score. I mean, he had a couple plays where... He just bagged his man down on the left block, got to a sweet spot. There's one particular play with Mark Mitchell, who I just talked about being a good defender and absolutely gave no resistance. And um, Hall was able to shoot like his soft touch fadeaway. I mean, he's got some offensive skill. I think he is, like I said, a player that has the versatility that you like. I think he can defend multiple positions. He can post up. He can score in space. He can knock down shots. He's tough. He's gritty. He's someone that I don't know if he's going to get drafted. But then again, I didn't think... I forgot the guy's name. I didn't think Xavier Tillman, even though Xavier Tillman was good, I didn't think that he would stick like he's been able to stick. And so I think even though they're different players, they just have the same school in common, I think Malik Hall is someone that especially in this draft, you take a flyer on in the second round. Yes, there's guys that are going to have higher upsides and, and, and you know, you, you think that they are uh, worth the, the gamble because they're younger. But I think Malik Hall is a future glue guy in the NBA. Well, that wraps up this episode. I am exhausted. I got a flight to catch. I still got a pack. I literally have skipped a night of sleep. So I could watch these games and then I'm doing this podcast and I got to go straight to the airport. And then when I get back, my brother will probably do a couple episodes. Got to check in with Richard Stamen and get his thoughts. We're going to cover the rookies in the NBA. College basketball, NBA. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We got to talk about the G League Ignite. That's another reason I'm tired because I stayed up to three and four o'clock in the morning three times to watch the Ignite. I'll just say it like that. To watch the Ignite. I mean, they lost by 50, 58 or 59. I mean, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned. I know they have some injuries, but I'm really concerned about the Ignite. So I'll be sure to cover that. And actually, it just won't be my opinion. I'm going to get some opinions of my brother and Richard Stamen and Leaf Tulane. We're going to talk about the Ignite and other prospects. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow and I am out.